When it comes to the simple truth for inheriting eternal life, Pastor Xavier Rees says, less is more. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The solution to not become an obstacle of God is in verse 24. Deny yourself. You want your rights? Go back in the world. You want what's fair? Go back in the world. You want to be a Christian? You have to be like your Lord. You have to die to self. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter was the big winner by replying that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Well, Jesus went on to say that God Himself had revealed this to Peter and that the keys of the kingdom of heaven were now His. Well, so far, so good, but as we move ahead in our study of Matthew 16, it didn't take long for Peter to get his foot back in his mouth and get blamed for being an obstacle to God. It's quite a passage, and Pastor Xavier sorts all this out for us in the conclusion of his study titled, Jesus is God's Revelation to Man. One of the most difficult things in our lives is the ability to discern when God is speaking to us. We want to look at chapter 16, verses 13 through 27, where we get three types of revelation. Revelation from heaven, verses 13 through 20. Revelation from hell, verses 21 through 23. And revelation from earth, 24 through 27. Let me read them. The question, who do men say that I am? Very important question. He says, some say John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Others say, Elijah, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. He says, you're the long way to Messiah. Secondly, he says, you're the son of the living God. So that means you're not only the long way to the Messiah, but you are the Messiah who has become man. Now, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, this was by divine revelation and illumination, not human intellect or wisdom. Not flesh and blood. The second thing he says, Peter, you are Petros, which means small stone. But on this Petra, massive rock that I am the son of the living God, I will build my church. That's what verse 18 says. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that no other foundation can any man lay outside of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. One go-between. Job puts it, one umpire in the game, and his name is Jesus. No one else. He says another thing. To Peter, Peter, you will be my instrument to preach the gospel. Now, watch closely. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. And so, Jesus' proclamation to Peter is not only that it's divine revelation, and not only that the church will be built upon the fact that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he is the rock. But that also Peter 
has the power, and not himself personally, but, and I left this out in the last half of verse 18, so I'm backing up on 18, where he says, the gates of hell should not prevail against it. What a tremendous truth. Now, people have abused the scripture and have taken it out of context. Let's, let's look at it in context. The gates of Hades means symbolic of the council of ruling body, the authority behind hell, which is death, sin, sorrow, pain, everything. Many have tried to say, well, you know, the gates of hell, and we're going to, you know, they're going to fight. No, gates don't fight. <laughs> gates speak of authority. Remember the Old Testament, the elders sit in the gates, and they judge? It's the authority, the council. That's what it speaks about. So don't take it out of context. You have to be consistent in your interpretation of symbols and meanings, okay? The gates of hell, the authority of hell will not prevail against his ecclesia, his called out. Why? Because Jesus was breaking the spine of the devil. The authority. Colossians 2.14, he says, He made principalities and powers uh, a public display, spoiled them openly. 1 Peter 3, 19-21 says he descended to the lowest parts of hell. He preached to the captives. Ephesians 4, he says he scooped them up, took them to heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says he took them to the third heaven where God dwells. Amen. Broke the power. The gates of hell have been spoiled because of what Jesus did, not what I can do. What he did. And so he says, Peter, you will be my instrument to preach the gospel, verse 19. Notice it's not the keys to the church, but the keys to the kingdom of heaven. There's a big difference. Keys are symbolic of opening. Isaiah 22, 22 speaks about the keys of David. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 speaks about it also there, quoting it. It speaks about opening. Opening for clarity and understanding. You remember the parables of the kingdom that we just finished in Matthew 13. In verse 52, the last parable, he says, I will liken you unto a householder and a scribe. A scribe's duty was to open the understanding of the word to the people. Keys was a symbol of their trade. The keys speak of opening understanding to the scriptures. Here Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to be an instrument of the gospel for me. Not that Peter has any special authority as we'll see in the next verse. If this is true, can we verify it through Scripture? Absolutely. In the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, Peter was a spokesman. When he moved on to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, he was sent to the Gentiles. Remember the vision of all manner of creeping thing? And God says, take, kill and eat, Peter. Peter says, not so, Lord. Uh-oh, Peter. Not and Lord in the same sentence. And he went, he says, don't doubt anything. He went and he revealed what God was doing, man. He, he saw God work. He went back to Jerusalem and knowing what the hassle he was going to get, he took some Jews with him. He says, you guys stick up for me when I get back there as I share it because they're not going to believe me. God used him. Acts 15, he was a key spokesman in the first church council. And God chose Peter to be the instrument in the beginning, a key instrument. Who does it now? Every one of us. Every one of us, no one has more authority than any one person. Now, there's a key connection here as we move on, where he says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, you will be loose in heaven. Now, many people, again, out of context, take this and say, let's bind the enemy. Now, I try to be as candid 
and as honest with you as possible. I don't like to put any pretense or facades with you people, okay? I understand that we have authority and power over the dominion of darkness. He said the gates of hell would not prevail against us, okay? But when people use this to bind Satan, it's out of context. The word binding and loosing has the idea of allowing and disallowing. That's all it means. It's an old rabbinical and Hebrew phrase. Allowing and disallowing. The phrase is only found three times. It's here in Matthew 18, church discipline, and then in John's Gospel 20, verse 23, about uh, whoever sins you remit, the remitted, whoever sins you retain, the retain. Okay? Does that mean that they had authority to forgive sins? No. It means they had the authority to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, and if people repented, their sins would be forgiven, and if they rejected, then you had the right to say, you're still in your sins. I have that authority. I preach the gospel. I have an altar call. You reject it. I say, you're still in your sins. But if you come and accept the Lord, I have the authority to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Now, time will prove it out if it's true, if your life changes or not. But my saying, it doesn't make the fact that you're forgiven. <laughs> time will bear out if you truly have repented against God and against sin. And so I think that his scripture is used out of context for this reason. And stay with me. I'm binding Satan in the life of a believer because I think that Satan is hassling him. But in reality, God is using Satan to blow his mind to get him to God. Is God supposed to say, okay, hands off. St. Xavier's praying. <laughs> no. Is Satan supposed to run around? Oh, they're binding me. Oh, you know. No. Listen, you and I are no match for Satan. You understand me? I don't go looking for him, but I don't run from him. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. We have authority, but I think this is out of context. And be real careful of binding and loosing because God uses Satan as an instrument for his glory. He used him with Job. He's used him many other times. And Paul in Corinthians says, let's turn that young man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. You have to walk in knowledge. Know what the word teaches. And so this phrase here, and in Matthew 18, 18, but in that context is regarding church discipline. The sinning brother, you go by one, then by twos, then bring before the elders of the church, and they will either allow or disallow, bind or loosen. What does that mean? You will say what is. But what is the bottom line of binding and loosening? Very simple. The scriptures. Not my authority, not my rules, but what did the scriptures say? How far can I go? What do I say? Where, where, where can I discipline somebody? How much can I discipline? What for? It's the scriptures. If I don't hold myself to the scriptures, then how can I hold you to the scriptures? The bottom line is the scriptures. And so... The bottom line is that we have to submit ourselves to the will of the Lord. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. We know this, that if we ask anything according to His will, we have it. But His will may not be my will. That's where the conflict comes in, doesn't it? We're going to see it very well in the next section. In verses 21 through 23, you have the revelation of hell. From heaven, we go to hell. How quick we do that. <laughs> Instantly, man. I, God can use me and all of a sudden I turn the corner and 100% beef. 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of these religious men, and be raised from the dead. Notice first, Jesus reveals the revelation from heaven. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer and die. He must be raised from the dead after the third day. He must, he must, he must. This is God's revelation through Jesus from heaven. Peter's response to the revelation from heaven, he responds to the revelation from hell. For look at verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter rebukes Jesus. In the Greek, as you look at the Gospels, it, he grabbed him by the elbow, took him aside, so courteous, and rebukes him right to the face. Secondly, Peter wanted Jesus to bypass the cross and to take a shortcut. The same counsel that Satan gave him in the wilderness. It didn't fit his agenda. It didn't fit his mind. Over my dead body, Jesus. And I can imagine Jesus saying, if need be. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I think that Peter loved Jesus. I think that this expression was out of love. Out of deep concern for Jesus. But the thing is that Peter was not submitting himself to the will of God. The will of God has just been given to him in the previous verse. Sometimes God says, this is what I want for your life, John, Mary. And you say, no way. I cannot forgive that person. I cannot go there. I am not going to be that. There's no way. And you respond to the counsel of hell. I didn't want to do that. And then God and I said, okay, God. Oh, God's so fortunate to have me, isn't he? <laughs> but he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Peter now is rebuked by Jesus. Peter became an instrument of Satan and an obstacle for the will of God. Can Christians be that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't lose sight of that. Lord, you should have made a left. You made a right. What's the matter with you? God says, I know what I'm doing. God's directing me. How dangerous this is. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter became an instrument of Satan. Immediately after he was an instrument of God. In the flesh, into the spirit, instantly. Sound familiar? We can identify, can't we? But this is a little more severe. This is talking about the plan of redemption. And sometimes God may be calling you to be something, to do something, to be obedient to some things, and you don't, you know, you're, you're trying to say, no, well, God would never do that. But and you're kind of evading it, and you know God's speaking to you. Or maybe you have such a twisted theology of the Scriptures that God could not bring suffering, God could not bring death, God could not bring illness. Oh, no? And you've got your theology so packaged down, so man-made, that you're not open to what the Scriptures teach. And you actually become an obstacle to the will of God and an instrument of Satan. It's heavy. The revelation from hell. Powerful. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked, above all things. Who can know it? Only God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, To the natural mind, the things of God are foolishness. They can't discern them. I have a natural mind still. Because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I don't have a natural mind. 
I've got the mind of Christ, and I've got the mind of Xavier. There's no comparison. None at all. And I can choose to yield to either one. I have to be real careful. Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. And Philippians 2 says, put this mind on. It's not good just to have it. You better use it. Put it on. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind? He was God. He humbled himself. He became a servant. Uh-oh, I don't want to serve. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear how I'm going to reign. That's what the disciples had in mind. That's why Peter said over my dead body, we're going to go reign, Lord. What's the matter with you? You got sunstroke? What is it? We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to reign. No, I'm going to die. Sure you want to follow me? I'm going to die. Jesus moves on to give us a revelation from earth. From heaven to hell to earth. This is where we live, people. The revelation on earth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take his cross, and follow me. The solution to not become an obstacle of God is in verse 24. You ready for it? First, deny yourself. Lose sight of your own self and your own importance. The Christian community is so sick because it's looking to itself. It's so caught up with itself, its programs, its own glamour, its own entertainment. And that's why the church is weak today and we're not a light and salt to the community. Because we really have very little difference between us and the people in the world for the most part. Deny yourself. Here's a solution so you don't become an obstacle to Satan and you don't buy the counsel of hell. Deny yourself. You want your rights? Go back in the world. You want what's fair? Go back in the world. You want to be a Christian? You have to be like your Lord. You have to die to self. He gave you the example. And now He's giving you and me the ability. Secondly, take up your cross. Why in this order? Because if you don't deny yourself, you'll never pick it up. And if you do, you'll put it down. Without denying yourself, the cross comes very, very heavy. Once you've denied yourself, the cross is very, very light. Because as you deny yourself, Jesus helps you carry it. But if you don't deny yourself, you've got to carry it on your own. First, your new life and faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creature. All things pass away, everything becomes new. I walk by faith with the mind of Christ and He transforms me. That's my cross. Secondly, my own course to run. Philippians 3. Paul says, I have not obtained that for which I have been apprehended for. So I lay hold on that, that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended for. I press towards the mark. I run the course. God has a special course for me. Don't compare yourself to me. You cannot run my course. Ephesians 2.10, I'm God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that were created before the foundation of the world that I might walk in them. I've got to accomplish that course. I have the ability to run it. I have the ability to do it. Now, the question is, will I cover the course? It all has to do with denying myself, picking up my cross. And the result is, follow me. What is that? Obedience. Don't rationalize the Word of God. Obey it. But you don't understand what this person did. Obey, forgive. I can't. You've got it. Go to the Lord. Deny yourself. You say, the more I want to forgive, the more I remember. 
Well, the scriptural way to do it is to forgive and the forgetting comes. And you'll be able to walk hand in hand with God. But if you try to do it, you're not going to be able to do it. And forgiveness comes bitterness, resentment, all kinds of different things, ugly things. That's the key in the heart of our relationship with God and with you and me, forgiveness. I don't care what your problem is in life, it comes down to forgiveness. You try to walk around forgiveness, you're going to mess yourself up. You've got to be open to the love of God. Something that you can't do. Only He can do for you. Look at the consequences of, of self-life in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Very simple. You lose what you try to hold on to. And you hang on to what you willfully lose. Kind of weird philosophy, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus says, let me live through you. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucified. Romans 6.6, 6, I have been crucified. Romans 6.11, crucify the old man daily. Put him out of business, literally in the Greek. The deception of the world is in verse 26. For what if a man, what does a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Two important things. First, thinking that material gain and wealth is more important and valuable than my soul. What a tragic mistake. And many people live under that philosophy today. Maybe you live under that. And you're straddling the fence. That doesn't mean you can't have money if you're a Christian. Just make sure money doesn't have you. Make sure you can possess things, but they don't possess you. Hang on to them real loose. In case God takes them, you don't cry like a baby. Two, the impossibility of purchasing your own soul. You cannot buy it, but you can have it free. But don't think it was cheap. It cost the life of the Son of God. One more thing Jesus reveals, that's the promise to his disciples in verse 27. Don't miss it. For the Son of Man will come in His glory with His Father and His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. Bottom line is, all that He does in us and through us, as we obey, we pick up our cross, and He helps us carry it, He's going to reward us in the last day. Can you imagine that? He did everything, He's still going to reward me. Now, where can you have a friend like that? <laughs> Nowhere. Interesting revelations here. Revelation from heaven, from hell, from earth. Pray that God illuminate your heart regarding the revelation from heaven as you read the scriptures. Pray that you open your eyes. Believe it. Obey it. Secondly, pray God give you wisdom to discern the revelation from hell. That is an opposition for God's will for your life. It will come. And thirdly, pray you always obey Jesus, His revelation from earth. You've got it right here in your hand, in your lap. Like looking into a mirror, you see you need to part your hair, you better do it. Your button's on wrong, you better straighten them out. Obey the Lord. Interesting revelations here. Which revelation are you living up by? Revelation from heaven or hell? Your obedience to the revelation on earth by the Bible will reveal which one you're living by. You can examine it. You can be your own judge. The word is very clear about that. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing to a close our study of Matthew chapter 16 with a critical challenge for obedience to the revealed Word of God 
the Bible. And copies of today's study are available on CD for the small cost of just $4. And if you'd like to request one for yourself or someone you know that might like to hear it, the title to ask for is Jesus is God's Revelation to Man or simply mention today's date. Now, everything you heard last time will be included as well, so the title to ask for once again is Jesus is God's Revelation to Man. And here's our address. Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, today we heard about God using three types of revelation regarding Jesus the Son. And next time we'll get to see yet another revelation, the glory of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, a spectacular moment you won't want to miss on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com